Hey there, it's Anjile here and I'm back with part two of my conversation with Christian Stain. Christian is the head of South African mobile first car insurance startup MyWay Blink. MyWay Blink is a division of MyWay Insurance Limited and the venture was launched in Johannesburg during the thick of the ongoing COVID pandemic. Now on this episode, Christian lets us in on what it's really like to develop and launch an insurtech in the shadow of a large successful incumbent. Now he'll also paint a picture of what knocking it out of the park looks like for My Way Blink as he and his team respond to the pressure to kill it. But before we get to all that, thanks to My Way Blink for sponsoring this two-part series. Their vibe is no paperwork, no long phone calls, just smart tech, great service, and cash back in your pocket. They're definitely fixing to be the car insurer that lets you have it all. So if you live in South Africa, they'd love for you to put them to the test. Uh, Go ahead and download the My Way Blink app in the Google Play Store or Apple's App Store and request a quote. You can also do that at mywayblink.co.za. That's M-I-W-A-Y-B-L-I-N-K dot C-O dot Z-A. Now, on to the episode. Sometimes is proving to be, um, at least in InsurTech, one of the more nimble and more innovative legacy players around resourcing and enabling corporate innovation that, you know, is essentially startups within a large corporate. And uh, it's definitely something a lot of uh, financial institutions struggle to do. What made this possible? Because it feels like it's in the shadow of a Suntum that my way has matured and become a, a confident business. And now it's almost like lightning is striking twice with a startup within a startup uh, with my way blink. What, what are you guys getting right? I think there's in my way, definitely a culture of, and I know it's, you know, it's, it's become a buzzword and everyone uses it, but a, you know, a culture of let's try things and, and fail fast. And, and that's really, you know, with that mindset and, and being, being able to test new things, quickly ditching the ones that don't work, and then scaling the ones that do. Um, so I think it's that mindset. We also, we launched with just car insurance. And, and ideally, we'd want to offer you know, all the other products as well, and, and we'll get there. But I think our, our method or our, our way of working is to say, well, let's launch with something. Let's launch with a, a product that is big enough to, to suit a big enough market um, and that we can get to scale. And let's keep improving and adding to it over time, as opposed to saying, let's go and build all the various products that we have on a digital platform, and it's going to be a three-year project, and then we'll launch. Um, and I think that right. that makes a big difference because it, it allows us to launch things iteratively um, and more regularly, um, rather than kind of betting the farm, and then you, know, you, you take a big risk whether that's going to work or not. So this is what fascinates me, that you get to think like that when you have suits, no doubt, on your board. You're wholly owned by a legacy institution that got to where it was not thinking like that for the most part. Give me some insider scoops on on what that looks like. Is it a negotiated path to progress or... Is it inherent in the in in the leadership or your ownership that this is what uh, startups need to be allowed to do if they're going to succeed? How do you prevent the success of a legacy owner like Santam getting in the way of 
building something new and innovating. I mean, you guys bombed this out in over in, in a year. I mean, you're making it really difficult for some startups that are counting on players like you not <laughs> doing this sort of thing, yeah. right? So I'm trying to get into the psyche of it. I mean, it's, it's interesting, but uh, I heard a story this week about um, someone pitching an idea and saying, you know, we want to launch this and, and give us 5 million rand for kind of a, as, a, as a marketing budget so that we can take this to the market. And, and this person was complaining and saying, but, you know, they, they're hesitant to give me 5 million rand. And he was speaking to someone else who got a 50 million rand marketing budget to also launch something new. Um, so, wow. you know, person B said, but what did you promise them for that 5 million rand? And they said, no, I didn't promise anything because this is brand new. And, you know, how can I put any sales numbers behind this? I, I can't promise anything. We, we need to see what happens. And the other person said, well, that's the problem. I got the 50 million because I could, you know, say that for this 50 million, this is the number of sales that, that I can generate for you. And it's also uncertain. And I think that's, that's where it comes in. The reason I'm, I'm mentioning the, the story is, um, you know, in, in my way's Firstly, history. is this a real story? It is a real story, um, but okay. I think it's sometimes you have to you have to put numbers on the table and say, well, this is what what we'll achieve, and then you know our, our board, if the business case makes sense and and if the rationale is there, then you know they they're happy to give us the extra funding to to do things like my way blink, but with that freedom comes the the accountability to say, well, then then we need to deliver, and if a, a particular project. You know, let's just say if my way blink didn't quite work out, then you know that that accountability sits on our shoulders to make sure that we come up with other plans that we you know keep changing or, or adding or you know even reinventing if if that's necessary, and not just to sit back and say oh, we we tried it didn't work what a pity. It, so it's I think a lot of it is about culture, and I think also because we've had a good track record, um, our board. It, it's never really an issue if, if there's a good business case on the table, if the rationale makes sense. The conversation is maybe not as difficult as, as you might think it is. Have you had to take a failure to said board? And how did they respond? Because that's the other dynamic of VC backing startups, right? There's this hopefully a great sense of accountability, which not all sort of VC startup relationships tend to engender. But there's also this reality that you are investing into a fairly you know, risky space, in which case failure is expected and isn't stigmatized. So are there risks maybe even that you don't feel free to take because you have that hanging over your head in a way that startup X in the market doesn't because they've taken money from Unichri and pedal to the metal, you know, to, to succeed where you have your board to sort of contend with? So, so for example, if we decided tomorrow that we want to go into uh, aviation insurance and we want 200 million rand, we, we're now going into aviation insurance. You know, that, that's going to be a very different conversation um, because we, we're not experts in, in that um, field. Uh, it's not something that, that we've ever dealt with or, or have a proven track record in. Uh, I think if it's something different, if it's about car insurance, which we know well, we understand that value chain, and it's it's a, a play on, you know, kind of a, or a mix between car insurance and technology, and, and that's really where, where my way blinks it. Um, you know, that's something that, that we know well that, that we've been doing um, successfully for, for many years. So then it's, a, it's, it's very different. But to, to get back to your point about failures, definitely, and I think 
those conversations are more about, okay, but, but what failed and, and what do we learn from it so that we don't make you know, a similar mistake again in future? And so assume that a lot of the people listening to the show will probably only be hearing of my way for the first time in their lives uh, and perhaps even Santam for the first time in their lives. So how competitive is this field? One, what are you playing for in terms of the size of the opportunity? I mean, specific to the one you're going for currently, like before we talk growth and, and, and other plans you have. And what have you decided to do in terms of like positioning yourself in the market uniquely? So that's kind of three questions in one. Maybe let's start with the first one, which is, you know, give us, you know, paint a picture of who else is in the field, how competitive it is. It, it is an extremely competitive industry. I think just you know, the competition on something like the keyword car insurance on, on paid search is, you know, it's ridiculous. The bids that we have to pay if you want to, to rank high on, on keywords like that, as, as an example. Um, but I think even just media spend by insurers to cut through the clutter and to, to have your, um, your brand kind of front of mind is very big. So Santam is, is the largest insurer, but then in the, in the direct space, that would be Outsurance. And then you have King Price, you have Teleshow, which have all the other brands, that's Auto in General, First for Women, Dal Direct, all of those. And then some of the, the younger ones, and that's really where, where MyWay Blink plays. So I would say MyWay Blink's direct competition are guys like, like Naked, um, Pineapple, Yashua. So those are all digital-first, app-based, not driven by, by big call centers um, to, to do transactions. Or brokerage networks. Yes, correct. Okay. And so, you, again, you were onto the distinction of like some of the other players that you, you listed, the Teleshow group, which come from a legacy background. You think of yourselves really as, as, a, as, as a startup, I guess. I mean, is, is that how you segment the market internally or, or do like a competitor analysis internally? I mean, MyWay Blink at the moment is set up as, as competition for MyWay. What I mean with that is um, if an existing MyWay client prefers to move his car insurance to MyWay Blink, uh, then you know that's a client lost for MyWay and a client gained on, on MyWay Blink side. So uh, the competition is is not just those digital players that I mentioned. It's definitely um, in the bigger market. However, I do think there's a, a bigger element of competition between these digital brands just because it, it attracts the same type of client. Mm. A 70-year-old who's dealt with his broker for the last 50 years, um, you know, they're not going to move and that, that's typically not our clients. So even though, you know, I don't want to say it's, it's limited to, to just the other digital players and we're all, um, you know, competing for, for a subsection of the market. I think it is bigger, but that would be probably the first level of competition. Gotcha. And at, at Penny just dropped... My way, Blink's existence is also, uh, in essence, a response to disruption or potential disruption over time. If my way doesn't join the party, as it were, is that fair to say? Yes, I think that uh, absolutely. So then, again, sizing the markets, what are we playing for? Can you give me a dollar number? You know, what would you tease uh, a VC uh, interested in buying my way with, as far as an addressable market and this, <laughs> and how big it is? So there are about 15 million people in South Africa between 20 and 35, kind of the, the market we're looking at. And while there's no stats specifically on, on 
you know, vehicle ownership by, by demographic. If we just, our estimates, if we take the, those population numbers, look at vehicles on the road and, and, you know, number of vehicles insured and uninsured, et cetera, et cetera, I think there are about two and a half million vehicles. And that, that's really the size of the market that we're after. So, yeah, I, th I would say about two and a half million vehicles owned by 20 to 35 year old, maybe 20 to 40. Um, and, and that's the, the size of the pie. Has Byway ever had, uh, you know, regional aspirations, global aspirations? Um, and if so, in which direction have, have those gone? And if not, why not? There was a, a time, yes, where, where we were um, actively exploring other opportunities. I think it's worth mentioning that in Sun Lum, so, you know, kind of the, the real mother company, um, they have a, um, quite a big uh, emerging markets business, um, including short-term insurance. So even though Sun Lum is a life insurer, um, in many other countries, they, they own short-term insurers. So it was also looking at that and saying, well, th there's no point in going competing with them in, in those territories. So either can my way complement what, what they already have there, or are there other markets where we would um, be better suited to, to expand into than, rather than the, the existing um, Sunlum structure. So where that process got us to is, is almost saying, well, let's understand what we do well in South Africa. And if there's another market that would allow us to, to duplicate our business model, then fantastic, then, then we should go and do it. But if there's, for example, the ability to control the, the claims process from start to finish, where the vehicle is taken to be repaired, um, which tow truck operator gets the instruction to, to tow the vehicle, all of those, it sounds straightforward, but that's a, a key part of, of our business is being able to, to control that, that um, process. There were some countries where that, that ticked a lot of boxes, but then, for example, um, the insurer is not in charge of where the vehicle goes for repairs. And, and we never really got to a country where we said, we think we can take what we do and be just as successful in, in that country um, because the, the environment and, and the kind of the lay of the land is so similar to what we have here in South Africa. You know, speak to investors who are very bullish on InsurTech. They're being sold no doubt, very, very bullish stories about the potential for pan-African growth. What would you say to them as a cautionary? I think the uh, insurtech play, which is uh, supposed to, to a large extent, a, a digital play, um, is very much based on, on integration and integration into different data sources, different systems talking to each other, etc. So, Maybe the easiest way to, to, to make the point I want to make is to use an example. We ask a client for, for their contact details, their ID number, and their vehicle registration number. And that's why we can give you a, a car insurance quote in, in less than a minute. But if you move into many of the African territories, um, those type of databases don't exist, where with an ID number, I can pull all the, the other information that I need about a client to calculate an accurate premium. So that, that's already, you know, the, the, that underwriting process is going to be more laborious because, the, you know, all of those integrations and, and data sources don't exist. So that, that's one example. I think also the, the extent to which you can integrate into your repairer network so 
Um, is there a way to get the, a status update of how, you know, where are we with the repairs on a particular vehicle? It's now in the paint booth or it's being sprayed or it's now being assembled or disassembled. If you want to offer a digital experience where you'd never need to speak to anyone, then that type of information needs to be available on an app without a human having to pick up the phone to call and find out, et cetera. And um, to, to what extent those capabilities exist in, in the rest of Africa, um, you know, I'm, I'm not definitely not an expert on it, but from what I've seen, um, South Africa is definitely uh, far ahead of, of most other African countries. And so it might also explain why some of the more promising insure tech plays in the, say, car insurance space specifically um, outside of South Africa are needing to build, you know, or deliver on that infrastructure solve as part of the startup uh, development process uh, in addition to delivering on being a, di- a good digital sort of offering. And, and, and yeah, and I, I imagine you guys would do the math on doing that in various markets and see whether it's worth your while versus double down mm-hmm. on a on a fairly lucrative market like South Africa, right? So, I mean, in that yeah. context, if that's true, what is winning at this, like knocking it out the park over the next couple of years at the startup? What does that look like? I definitely think there, there are opportunities for insurtechs in, in the rest of Africa, but I think the product offering will just look very different to, to what makes sense at this point in South Africa. So um, parameterization is a new concept and, and it's creeping into to new and very clever um, insurance solutions. And I think especially in, in the agricultural sector, so for example, instead of I'm a farmer and I need to, to now prove that because of drought, you know, I, I lost my crop for this year, that insurance product can work on the basis that um, I've paid my premium up front but I don't need to submit a claim. I don't need an assessor to come out or an agri-specialist. The, the product is based on, on very detailed satellite images. And, and on that basis, based on the, the coloring or the discoloration, that, that's really, you know, that's the trigger point. And, and if, if it gets to a certain level of, I suppose, brownness or, or just lack of green, that's the trigger for, for a claim payout. So I think there are definitely other clever solutions that might just, you know, motor insurance might just not be the, the next big thing um, in the insure tech space in the rest of Africa. How much of that blue skies thinking are you allowing yourselves as my way blink right now in light of the opportunity you just sort of outlined in the rest of Africa and perhaps you know there are other opportunities locally you might look at it's a difficult one you know to be honest because in the beginning and, and you start designing and it's all blue sky thinking and now when you're in the trenches and you know it needs to be very deliberate to, to say well a portion of our time we still need to spend and so let's take a, take a step back and, and allow for that blue sky thinking and, and just, you know, forget about constraints and resource and whatever, but, but kind of what's next? What's the next big thing? We definitely want to expand into the non-motor products that I mentioned earlier, but we want to do so in a way that is just as fast and convenient and, and um, transparent or, or simple than the car insurance offering that, that we offer at the moment. So, you know, we don't want to do this very slick car insurance product, but then if you want to insure your building with us, uh, we're still going to ask you 40 questions and, and it's kind of all the same than, than what you're used to. So we want to do that, but but in, in clever ways and, and also finding 
other technologies that can assist us to, to replicate almost what we've done in the car insurance space. And are you open to partnerships? Because maybe their start, their founders listening who are going, that sounds like a partnership opportunity. Are you the kind of company that would engage another startup that's got some interesting tech applications you guys could integrate? Or are you guys trying to keep it all in the family, build it yourselves? What's, mm. your, what's your sensibility around that? No, absolutely. I think that used to be the, our mindset. It's kind of, you know, let, we do it in-house. Um, we build everything ourselves. We know base that that type of thing, and I think um, with my way blink specifically we've pulled in um, a few external experts uh, companies not not individuals necessarily and and I think it's I'm very glad that we did uh, it's things that would have taken us longer to figure out where bring someone in that's that's their area of expertise so most certainly I mean if there's someone that that has technology that they'd like to show us that can help us to to achieve our goals um you know we'd be all ears okay so now you've you've piqued my interest like what parts of your business did you partner with or is this all under nda and we'll never hear about it what what areas are more ripe for collaboration in this genre in, in your world currently so we we are the the insurance experts as, as an example our back-end um Software engineers that understand our, our system, which is quite complex, very well. But when it comes to um, the the user interfaces and and you know kind of the UI UX, that's a space where just because we we understand our system and we understand um, insurance, that doesn't make us experts on on UI and UX. Um, so that that's one area. Um, the technology and, and this is public knowledge so I'm, I don't mind sharing it but the, the technology that we've embedded in the app with the, the telematics technology that allows us to detect accidents and to track the trips etc um, that comes from a US company called Zendrive and that's actually a, um, a three-way partnership between my way Zendrive and, and DSG which is the, the South African partner what I'm coming back to is it's almost asking the question, is there someone else that's already learned these lessons that are better at this than what we would be even if we spend a lot of time and resources on this? And, and two years down the line, we, we might still not have something in-house that's as good as what we can get access to currently. And that's, for me, the, the first criteria of whether to consider partnerships and, and outsourcing versus what you keep in-house. And so what would you say is the number one thing that keeps you up at night about this business and its growth? It is still early days, so there are definitely many sleepless nights. Um, mm -hmm. and, and growth is, is the one thing. You know, I think there are other things that if we figure out over time that because we, we've built our own pricing models, which you know, we're now five months in, since we launched MyWay Blink. Um, and if we figure out that, you know, we, we weren't as accurate as we thought, that's something we can fix over time. But, but you need to get the business to scale quickly be, before any of that even matters. Um, so, so growth is definitely top of mind. Um, that, that's what I spend most of my time on is to, to find other distribution networks, other partnerships to really get the MyWay Blink brand out there and get it in front of consumers' eyes. That sort of speaks to the the, the question um, I asked earlier, which is, what does success look like? Is there a number you're working to? Is it a, is it a market share number? Is it a user number? What are the metrics that matter? 
an insurance company, and maybe I should say a direct insurance company, needs to get to to scale um, before it can be profitable. Just because a, a direct model is typically all your acquisition cost is incurred upfront versus a, a typical intermediated model where a percentage of every premium for however long that policy stays gets paid over to, to the intermediary. So in a direct model, um, there's definitely, we, we call it a J curve, but you you kind of um, incur quite a bit of expenses before you get through and, and get to break even. Um, and that policy count, I mean, it, it differs depending on, on what type of products and, and so on, but I would say kind of getting to between 30 and 50,000 clients, that would be the, the first big goal. What do you know now about My Way Blink that you didn't five months ago? That if you had known would have informed you know, your strategy bringing it to market? Some of the, the interesting learnings uh, that we've had over the last five months that, that we definitely didn't expect was that people almost found the, the, the ease of doing a quote and, and just signing up a policy almost too good to be true. We've had people that, um, that say this, is, this was an amazing experience but what's the catch? Because this, you know, this just doesn't. This is not insurance. This is not how insurance works. Um, we've had other people who've who've taken out a policy. They've done the whole process, and then they, you know, they'll make contact with us on on WhatsApp or via the, the in-app chat and say, "So when are we going to do the actual underwriting? Are you going to send me forms, or what's going to happen now?" So, you know, we we really spend a lot of time to make it that simple. But we didn't expect that type of reaction to almost say, "But." This is so far removed from what I'm used to that, that I'm almost not trusting it. Um, so that, that's informed a few you know, tweaks and, and additions that we've had to make and, and kind of explainer videos. And, you know, so it's, it was yeah, interesting insights, and it's not stumbling blocks. It's just something that if, if we expected that from the start, we might have approached things a bit differently. This is actually consistent with some research a mate of mine looked into around the lagging adoption of digital payments in South Africa relative to other African countries where, you know, things just apparently take off as soon as they're mobile and, you know, payments related, where there's definitely a massive culturally ingrained sense of trust that South African society, particularly um, as they call it, quote unquote, emerging markets, which is the vast majority of the population, um, tend to have and a traditional expectation around a friction or uh, a, a reliable sense of import that's given to the process, right? Uh, so it's actually no. quite interesting as an insight that you, you guys would have picked that up. And I can only imagine that would be compounded if you weren't backed by a brand that people actually recognize. I can imagine that would uh, even be less prone to be trustworthy um, in the mind of a, a consumer who was prone to be distrusting anyway. And so how important is the brand? How big uh, a factor has the brand played to the coming to market narrative and potentially your success? That was definitely part of the decision process um, when we launched to, just to say, okay, so we, we know what we want to take to market, but how are we going to, to position it? Is it going to be just another product, um, you know, a my way product? Or on the other end of the, the scale, are we going to go... Um, a new brand, um, you know, proper startup, and, and it, there's, there's very little association with MyWay. And I think the, the reason that we ended up with MyWay Blink, so almost a, a sub-brand, is 
know, there's, there's a lot of credibility behind the MyWay brand. It's a 13-year-old brand that people recognize, that they trust. So we, we definitely wanted to make that association clear, that, that this is something from a trusted brand, um, but that it's, it's new. So it's, that's why it's MyWay Blink, and you'll see from the, um, just the, the CI, the corporate identity, the website, it, it's fresh and it looks different and, and it speaks to a younger market. Um, and that's how we ended up kind of between completely new versus just embedded into existing MyWay uh, products and, and processes. So you've been with MyWay for 11 years. The vast majority of that time has been as, an, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but as an embedded sort of executive resource, you are now embedded as almost like a founder-type resource, CEO of a startup within the business. What would you point to as some of the most significant changes professionally as you've sort of had to uh, take on essentially bringing a, a startup to market? How has your experience as a member of the team at MyWay, as an executive within the team at MyWay changed during this transition? So my background is actually um, an actuarial one. Most of of my yeah eleven years at my way, I've spent as you know in in the actuarial field and and looking at um, different aspects of it. Um, and then I took over our commercial insurance, so my way business insurance, and and then later Blink. Um, so it's been an interesting journey, and and with every part of it, there's you know new learnings and so on with. My way blink specifically, I think it's the um, you almost need to become a bit of a, a jack of all trades. Um, you know, I'm sitting in in, in marketing meetings, and, and in the first couple of months, there were terms that I you know have never heard of, but but quickly had to to come to grips with to to understand that landscape, to understand online marketing. So it's it's. Everything from that to to operations to technology to business strategy and and that's really what excites me about my current role i think it's it's a, a great opportunity because it's there's never a, a dull moment but also because it's it's so wide and you sometimes need to um, to quickly shift gears and and almost wearing different hats from one meeting to the next. Sounds interesting enough and uh, certainly wish you the best. Christian, stay in the head of my way, Blake. Thank you so much for your time, man. Andile, thanks very much. Now, before we wrap this mini-series, a big thank you to My Way Blink for sponsoring this conversation and uh, cheers once again to Christian Stain for sharing fairly useful trench notes with us. Now, remember, if you live in South Africa, the folks at My Way Blink would love for you to put them to the test. Go ahead and download the My Way Blink app in the Google Play Store or in Apple's App Store and request a quote. You can also do that at mywayblink.co.za. That's my with an I, mywayblink.co.za. Otherwise, thanks for listening. Take it easy, Africa.